Welcome to the Chick Monks Podcast, where we explore contemplative Christianity from a feminine perspective. I'm your host, Heather Lawrence. Let's get to it. Hey, Chick Monks. Welcome back. Did you know that we're halfway through Lent? Did you know it was Lent? Do you know what Lent is? I've been having a lot of conversations recently about the mystery of this word that we often hear thrown around this time of year, but a lot of unclarity about what it actually means. So let me try to demystify a little bit. Lent is the season that leads up to Easter. We take 40 days, which symbolize the 40 days that Jesus was tempted in the desert. And we take that time to reflect on our lives. We call it a season of penitence to go inward, and to realign our hearts with God before the coming joyful celebration that we have of Easter, where everything comes back to life and we celebrate the resurrection. So what I have for you today is a homily that was written for St. Andrew's Episcopal Church during Lent, during this season of reflection and recalibration. So I invite you to open your heart to what love might be stirring up in you as you hear these words from the scriptures, which happens to be one of my personal favorite Jesus stories, and then the homily that I have to follow. Wherever you are, I invite you to take a deep breath in and out and receive these words from the Gospel of John. Jesus came to Sychar, a town in Samaria, near the tract of land that Jacob had given to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. Jesus, weary from the journey, came and sat by the well. It was around noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. The disciples had gone off to the town to buy provisions. The Samaritan woman replied, You're a Jew. How can you ask me, a Samaritan, for a drink? Since Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. Jesus answered, If only you recognized God's gift and who it is that's asking you for a drink, you would have asked him for a drink instead, and he would have given you living water. If you please, she challenged Jesus. You don't have a bucket, and this well is deep. Where do you expect to get this living water? Surely you don't pretend to be greater than our ancestors, Leah and Rachel and Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it with their descendants and flocks? Jesus replied, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink the water that I give them will never be thirsty. No, the water I give will become fountains within them, springing up to provide eternal life. The woman said to Jesus, Give me this water so I won't grow thirsty and have to keep coming all the way here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and then come back here. I don't have a husband, replied the woman. You're right, you don't have a husband, Jesus exclaimed. The fact is, you've had five, 
and the man you're living with now is not your husband. So what you've said is quite true. I can see you're a prophet, answered the woman. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you people claim that Jerusalem is the place where God ought to be worshipped. Jesus told her, Believe me, the hour is coming when you'll worship Abba God neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you don't understand. We worship what we do understand. After all, salvation is from the Jewish people. Yet, The hour is coming and is already here when real worshipers will worship Abba God in spirit and truth. Indeed, it is just such worshipers whom Abba God seeks. God is spirit, and those who worship God must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to Jesus, I know that the Messiah, the Anointed One, is coming and will teach us everything. Jesus replied, I who speak to you am the Messiah. The disciples returning at this point were shocked to find Jesus having a private conversation with a woman, but no one dared to ask, what do you want of him or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water jar and went off into the town. She said to the people, come and see someone who told me everything I have ever done. Could this be the Messiah? At that, everyone set out from town to meet Jesus. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus told them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. At this, the disciples said to one another, Do you think someone has brought him something to eat? And Jesus explained to them, Doing the will of the one who sent me and bringing this work to completion is my food. Don't you have a saying, four months more and then it will be harvest time? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe and ready for harvest. Reapers are already collecting their wages. They're gathering fruit for eternal life. And sower and reaper will rejoice together. So the saying is true. One person sows, another reaps. I have sent you to reap what you haven't worked for. Others have done the work. And you've come upon the fruits of their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus on the strength of the woman's testimony that he told me everything I ever did. The result was that when these Samaritans came to Jesus, they begged him to stay with them for a while. So Jesus stayed there two days, and through his own spoken word, many more came to faith. They told the woman, No longer does our faith depend on your story. We've heard for ourselves, and we know that this really is the Savior of the world. Last year, I went on a retreat in Albuquerque where about 20 people from all over the continent gathered in a circle time and time again, returning to this circle over three days. And in that circle, we sang together, we talked and grieved and laughed together, but especially we sang together. 
And in between songs, I heard a story told about a person in the desert who encountered a well with no rope and no bucket. After we heard the story, the first reflection question that the storyteller asked the group was, where do you see yourself in this story? Are you the person who encountered the well without a way to get to the water? Or a later person who comes by after the well has been restored? And I thought, I feel more like the well. Do you ever feel like an untapped well? Like you know there's so much life and potential and desire and possibility inside. Like there's something alive and flowing deep beneath the chaos and demands of the external world, but you aren't quite sure how to drink from it. Like you're just hoping someone might come along and drop a bucket down and see what comes up. I think that's what love does. I think that's what Jesus does. You see, this woman who comes to the well in the heat of the afternoon desert, she's alone for a reason. Probably because she didn't want to see anybody else. Or maybe because nobody else wanted to see her. Or maybe because the rhythm of her life set her apart from the rest of society. Whatever the reason, she was alone. And when Jesus approached her with his demands, she was not having it. I love it. I love this woman, and I love this version of Jesus, these two sparring at the well. How very human, right? She's like, how are you going to ask me for water when Jews don't talk to Samaritans? And he goes, if you knew that you were talking to God's gift to the world, you'd be asking me for a drink, and I'd give you living water. Oh, really? Where do you get this living water with no bucket? And that's when Jesus gets real weird. He says, this isn't the kind of water you drink and it moves right through you. This is the kind of water that sticks around forever, actually. This water I'm talking about is eternal life. And she's like, please give me this water so I don't ever have to come back here again. Side note. Let this woman be proof that Jesus can handle all of your doubts, your criticism, and all of your attitude. Because you know then what Jesus does. He gives it to her. He gives her what she asked for. He taps down deep into her heart by showing her that he sees her. He knows her. And he's still there with her. And he knows something in her, something deep within, that springs up to eternal life. And just like that, she becomes the bearer of eternal life. She is the well who becomes a fountain of living water, sharing life with her whole city. Do you ever feel like an untapped well? Like there's something alive and flowing deep beneath the chaos and demands of the external world, but you aren't quite sure how to drink from it. In this brief interaction, Jesus shows us how to access it. Drop down deep. Deep beneath the surface, 
beneath your right answers and your religion and your identity and the rest of your self-protection down to what you think you're hiding, down into the truth. Bring it into the light of day and drink deeply. Because beneath all of the stories we tell ourselves about who we are and how the world is, beneath all of the parts we play, beneath our personalities, there is a truth that you are pure love and that love is bursting forth in you. When we drop deep into the well within us, the well within every person, within every being, we find the same flow of life. We find living water. We are vessels of living water. It's really not even that far-fetched. Our physical bodies, we know, are 65% water. Our bodies are formed in water, in the womb, in amniotic fluid. All life on Earth emerged from the oceans. All life began in the water. We're basically just little extensions of the ocean, little water bags walking around on legs. Water is life. In reading botanist Robin Wall Kimmerer's brilliant book, Braiding Sweetgrass, she reflects on learning Potawatomi, learning this endangered language of the Anishinaabe people, of her people, a language that was strategically and violently silenced in Native children by Christian missionaries as they were forced to speak English instead. She says one of the starkest differences between English and Potawatomi is that English is a noun-based language with only 30% of our vocabulary being verbs. But Potawatomi is verb-based with 70% of its words as verbs. This is a complete inverse of our language. And this changes the way that this language and the people who speak it describe the world. Words for bodies of water are not nouns like bay or ocean. Instead, these are verbs. To be a bay, or to be a river, or to be a long sandy stretch of beach. Because to the Anishinaabe people, the water is alive. Here's how Robin Wall Kimmerer writes it in her book. A bay is a noun only if water is dead. When bay is a noun, it is defined by humans, trapped between its shores and contained by the word. But the verb, to be a bay, holds the wonder that for this moment, the living water has decided to shelter itself between these shores. The verb releases the water from its bondage and lets it live. Friends, not only is there a well of eternal life flowing in you, but the same living water that flows as bays and rivers and oceans lives in you, lives as you. Jesus stirs the sacred waters within us to life and gives us community 
to do the same for one another. To close, I'd like to offer you a song that I learned on that retreat in Albuquerque. It's a song we sang that a new friend from that weekend, Winona Poole, wrote. We sang it together after we heard that story about someone encountering a well, and to this day, it's a song that stirs the living waters in me. And I would love if you would join me wherever you are. I'm going to sing it two times through, and I invite you to close your eyes and let this stir the sacred waters in your heart. Where do we get that living water? Where do we get that living water? Where do we get that living water? Together at the Mm-hmm.